The following message is from the 2019 IBCD Training Institute, Identity Crisis. Lord, we really thank you that you've brought us together in this room to think about the high calling of being a ministry wife and how it affects our identity. And it is a beautiful thing we're called to do, and yet it comes with its own set of challenges and struggles. So we pray that you'll be with us now and bless us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to begin with a quote from this book. Barbara Bancroft wrote, Running on Empty, the Gospel for Women in Ministry. And she says, church culture recommends vanilla with a sprinkle of spice as the perfect flavor for a pastor's wife. Interesting and quirky, just not too interesting and quirky. Right? <laughs> so, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I did not plan to marry a man in ministry. I married a guy who was a business major, accounting and management. Didn't think that we'd be ending up in ministry for five years in Saudi Arabia, one year as associate pastor, and then 26 years at a church we planted. Now, my husband is a professor of counseling, and that's been for three years. So, did not plan on that. Some of you probably dreamed of being the pastor's wife, but Lord takes all of us and uses us where he wants us. So, I'm really humbled also to speak today because a lot of my talk is based on a wonderful book called One with a Shepherd, The Tears and Triumphs of a Ministry Marriage. The authoress, the author is Mary Somerville and she is right here with us. So I said, we're gonna talk about your book, Mary. And she says, good. I enjoy this book so much because she's addressed a lot of things that we need to hear, but very practical, out of a heart of love for ministry, love for her husband, and yet just recognizing some of the challenges. So this is a good time to evaluate ourselves and realize that even though we have the high calling of a ministry wife, we're going to start with wives. What is our job as a wife? And that is one thing Mary does teach us in this book is that we are primarily called to be wives, okay? So just take that, that's a big job right there. But not to mention all of the ministry you have as a ministry wife. So what is a wife to do? She is to be a helper suitable for her husband. A lot of us are doing pre-marriage counseling, right? Don't we love that? because then we get to go over what is the role of a wife. It's really good for us in our marriages. So we know in Genesis 2, 18, God created the woman as, it, because it's not good that the man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. And I wanna talk a few minutes about that and beginning with the communication that we need to have with our husbands. It's going to be a commitment we have to make in ministry, especially, but as wives in general. We have to look at Jesus as our model of communication 
with his father, taking things on a deeper level. And some of us might need to actually arrange times to talk to our husbands, because aren't our husbands crazy busy? Aren't they just like out doing so many things? And sometimes you have to put your own name on the calendar. It's my turn. It's our turn to be together because we need this communication. How can we not work together without that bonding we need? And that means also that you're going to be the one that your husband is teaching which is, that's kind of weird, makes us feel weird, doesn't it? Some of us, like our husbands is the preacher, are the preachers. And I just happen to be married to a man who's an amazing preacher. And I love hearing his sermons, but it's also, you know, we know what our husbands are like. And some wives have a real struggle with that aspect of being a ministry wife. So we're communicating, he's teaching us, and I'm gonna get to you later on how we can help our husbands. But when we are talking to our husbands, we're sharing. A lot of our communication, let's be honest, is just like, so who's coming over this weekend? How many appointments do you have? When are we doing pre-marriage counseling? But now I'm talking about let's go into deeper levels of honestly sharing ourselves, our thoughts. And just a hint. In Proverbs 25:11, some of you may have this memorized. I love this verse because as we're sharing with ourselves, we're digging into communication. We're also keeping in mind this verse, a word fitly spoken, spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That means this communication happens at the right time. And those of us who have been in ministry for a long time know that is not Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we're like focused. You know your husband's running through his sermon. He's running through all the people he has to talk to at church. So we're really being careful. I like to tell a lot of counselees that it's like Esther. Do you remember her? How when she had something to say to the king, she just like, she made sure he had a good dinner in his belly. You know, I'm going to feed him and then I'm going to bring up my request. And even then, didn't she do it twice? She kind of waited and she's till he was ready to listen. So we're always really careful. And the time we're going to share with our husbands is going to be the appropriate time. And we're going to listen. This communication's two-way. It's going to be listening to what he has to say to us. James 1, 19 through 20 is a good model for us. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So quick to hear. This, I'm just giving you basically communication techniques right now, okay? But it's so important in ministry, marriages, because I wish, I didn't have to tell you this, but how many marriages fail out on the mission field and people leave? How many marriages are in dam damaged that are in ministry? And a lot of these things were doing preventative measures. And so as we're thinking about speaking, quick to hear, but now slow to speak. And it's the concept you have that 
as the wife, you're sitting there as like the husband's most faithful and honest critic. Let's be, let's be real. Okay. You're the one who sees those little mannerisms he's doing and he doesn't even realize. And not many people are going to go up to him and say, do you realize you're doing this during your sermon? But if you're the one telling him, you're going to be quick to speak, quick to listen. You're going to be slow to speak. You're going to pick the time. But aren't we called to be that kind of person for our husband? Or even to just say, I didn't really understand that point. I thought it was unclear or you made a stray comment. Maybe you don't realize what it came out like. So we can be those wives that are helpful to our husbands in that way, but also to build them up. You know, it's so hard to take criticism, isn't it? And this is why we all know our husbands on Sunday afternoon are like shattered. Isn't it hard? You guys don't know, but it's hard to speak. It's hard to preach and get your whole heart out there. So we're being really careful and encouraging as we speak and give this mindfulness of this verse, Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I'm giving grace. You know, I'm giving you advice on how your delivery is coming across, but I'm doing it with grace and gentleness and kindness. And the, the wife of a ministry husband is building a home for him as a place of rest. I often think of that as like... Uh, Ships coming into a harbor. That's your husband coming home. Now, we have had people live with us, and some of you have too probably, right? Live with you for months on end. Okay. That gives you other challenges. That means your home is not really that place of rest. And we've had seasons of guys, students living with us, and we've had seasons of turning down students who want a place to live. Because I'm really careful to know that my husband needs rest time. Because if, he's, if your husbands are like mine, they're going to be on all the time. They're on. You just watch. Watch them when they're at service, at church. They're, they're into people. But when they come home, ah, oh, you know, I want to be a place, this to be a place where I can just regroup and recharge. It's so important. We are seeking to please our husbands as well. Now, I'm taking this out of 1 Corinthians 7.34. And you might say, Caroline, I don't know. What are you saying? You have no life. I'm saying 1 Corinthians 7.34 is, I mean, this makes it really clear that a married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. That means if he wants to buy matching T-shirts and let's go wear them together out in public, <laughs> you will do it. Hey, you know, this is a small thing. I can wear a matching t-shirt, you know, like you go to amusement park and here you are. You're like, yes, we're a team. You've seen those, right? Okay. So little things like, hey, you know, I'm not thinking about myself here. I'm thinking about my husband. I want to serve him. I want to build up a friendship with him because a lot of times your kids are watching, aren't they? Your kids are watching. What kind of marriage is going on here? And we can tell stories of like the most awful marriages that are so fake when they come to church. Okay. But we're going to be the real family that's going to have its ups and downs and show our children, though, that we have friendship 
is as a marriage. And that includes deeper things like sex and romance, being making life special for your husband. And yes, it's true, people in ministry, that happens. <laughs> and somebody's given me the illustration, and I don't know if it was Mary or not, but it's the, the idea that being, you know, the unequally yoked concept that it's foreign to be married to somebody who's not loving the Lord as a Christian. But to think of a marriage as equally yoked, that means you're both pulling together, right? You both have goals. And these wives of ministry husbands are in church, and they are also the focus. They're also involved in ministry. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a verse for those of us who are kind of sensitive and maybe find it hard to be in this role, especially when we hear things, people say things, and... That's true, right? We get criticism, and we hear criticism. Could be of our husband. It could be people leaving our church, okay? And that can be very difficult. But here's your verse, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 7, 21. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Okay, there's a command. <laughs> the rest of it says, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Okay, so I'm just going to say, girls, that we're going to take, not take to heart what everybody's saying. We're just going to continue realizing our main mission here as a ministry wife is to serve our husbands, to love the people. Okay. There are, it's really important. I'm going to give you, I'm just throwing out suggestions and ideas, but one is to remember that you are not one of the officers of the church. Now, how hard is that to remember when you have your own opinions? I mean, you're no dummy. You have ideas, and you've also heard probably the false idea that, hey, the husband's the head, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. Okay, not God's plan, but we know that as many ideas for wonderful things we have, we can tell our husbands, but are we really the ones who sat in on the elder meeting to find out exactly all the ins and outs of why they made the decision? Okay, we need to remember our role is supportive and we don't know everything. And man, it's really, really hard to remember that. So we want to, this is what's gonna help you though. And we're going to learn this aspect of ministry, marriage, is that we are serving the Lord primarily. And that's going to help you as you go through life. I'm going to read to you Colossians 3.23. And it says, I bet some of you can quote it. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
And that, I mean, put that over your sink. That is going to help you because you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get disappointed. But if you remember you're serving the Lord, if these people, sometimes if they don't appreciate you and all the hard work you put in and your dear husband and how much he worked on that sermon and then you hear criticisms, if you remember, this is the Lord whom we serve. Okay? Because sometimes sheep bite. Okay? <coughs> you veterans know what I'm talking about. Okay. So, we're not serving to be noticed, to be honored. I mean, I went to a church in the old days that was, had a really strong view of plurality of elders. Okay, but that meant we had no church party for the pastor's birthday. Okay? Some churches, like, pastor's birthday is like celebration. The whole church is rejoicing. But our church was like level ground. We're not celebrating pastor's birthday. We're not doing church anniversary every year. I'm talking about some of these traditions and customs that come in that kind of give you that boost you need. Well, if you don't get it, can you survive? Yes, because you're serving the Lord. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. And in a minute, we're going to talk about envy and jealousy, which does come up sometimes when you see all that hoopla happening with other people. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 4, 2 through 4 is a good thing to remember. It says, Moreover, it is required of stewards, that's those of us, that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. How helpful will that be when you hear things? <coughs> like, okay, like, did they buy that car? And how come they're living in that house? And that's true. It happens, right? Or they don't tell you directly, but you hear around the grapevine. Wow, somebody's criticizing you as you're out shopping and they see what you're putting in your basket. Well, my money's going to pay that pastor and look at what they're buying. Look at that vacation they're taking. Okay? Okay, just, oh. I'm serving the Lord. And what Paul is saying here is, I'm not really listening to the criticism. Criticism is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Okay. Because don't we go into tailspin when we get into that? Like, oh man, people are thinking things about me. Or else maybe I'm the only one. But. So, we don't serve because of expectations or all kinds of pressure. But let's look at some specifics now of a ministry wife. And probably all of you, if you've been in seminaries, you've heard this teaching on what should a wife of a leader be like. We're still going to look at it. 1 Timothy 3.11, it says, now talking about deacons, but I believe this is 
for elders' wives, pastors' wives. Wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Those are really important categories. And I'm really thankful that the women I have served with in ministry have exhibited that. They have been dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And what a blessing to serve in a community that has those wise women serving alongside you. So we begin with dignified, which means like mature, mature people, not slanderers, or you could say malicious talkers. They don't talk to each other. So important, girls. So important that they're not out there slandering and talking about, you know, that person and this person. Oh, I'm telling you, that is so destructive. I mean, gossip is ugly. It is an ugly sin. And you will be tempted. You will be tempted, especially if you have other women in leadership and you're going, oh, those people, they left and blah, 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 blah. And, or what it could be, oh, look who's coming to our church. And yippee, and it's great. But all this kind of talk, especially the slandering, malicious talk, is really going to bring your church down. It's going to bring you down your ministry, and you do not want to do it. It's an ugly sin. Actually, the word is diabolos for gossip. It's devilish. Okay, I think that's why it's in here. First Timothy, not slanderers, but sober-minded. Having self-control, temperate personalities. And it's what a goal that is for all of us. We want to be people that are trustworthy, reliable, not flying off the handle, but having self-control. And then faithful in all things or trustworthy. People that are there with the ins and outs of ministry life. And we see these same characteristics in Titus. It's uh, quite interesting to me that we've got another list of the older women who are ministering in the church. And how similar is it? Look at this. Titus 2, 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Right? That was We had that already. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine or any kind of addictive uh, situation. But they are able to teach what is good. And you see the list there. To train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. And the importance of our role as in leadership is highlighted with double underlines when it says at the end of Titus 2.5 that the word of God may not be reviled. That women in ministry who are faithful and temperate, all they're under control, you're saying this is in order that the word of God may not be reviled. This ministry to other women, reaching out is huge. It's a testimony in the church and it's a testimony outside the church. 
these characteristics of a godly woman. And I like Proverbs 31, 26, don't you? She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Okay, so here I am, I'm gearing you up, telling you how beautiful it is to be a ministry wife. And another aspect is our spiritual gifts that we possess. Okay, now don't think because your husband has so many amazing spiritual gifts that you have zero, we all have some. Do we not? We all have something to offer. And we may have to try several aspects of ministry before we find out what we're really skilled in. For example, nursery. Sometimes, like in my church right now, the pastor's wife's in the nursery all the time. Sometimes it's by default, nobody showed, okay? Small church, nobody showed. She's like the last person in line. She's the one who covers, but she also loves babies. <laughs> She's happy there, but I will not be there. I mean, like let other people do nursery. That's fine, go ahead. I'm letting them do that. Ah, but I am trying to find my gifts and you are too. And when you find those gifts, you serve. And my motivation for this is in Matthew 25, whole big section about God giving different talents to different people. And if you look, if you, are you familiar with this parable of the talents? Yes, okay. Some people got a ton of talents. Really? I mean, like five talents? We live very close to Kevin DeYoung in his church. Like we can walk to his church. It's ginormous. They have 2,000 members. And his wife is amazing. They have eight kids. <laughs> I mean, like loaded on talents. Kevin DeYoung could do like 10 things at once. Okay, so good. The Lord gave them those talents. <laughs> Some had two talents. And God says that when those people are given their talents and he, they come back with what he has gifted them with and they've invested it and used it, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And there's your motivation right there. Oh, you know, my church is so small and we lose like a family or two and it's devastating. Or like the church I attend, I teach Sunday school to the entire elementary age class. Like first through sixth grade, I teach all of them. And there are six of them. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's my church. Okay, so little churches, faithful, working hard, just serving. And the person who has the one talent, you know what they did? They hid it. That person hid their talent. And the reason was because, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. In other words, I don't trust you, God. You gave me just one little thing, and I could, I just didn't feel like I could serve at all. So I just hid it away. And he was severely judged. Actually, his one talent was given to the guy who has so much. Huh, okay, so Lord, yes, let me use what I've been given. 
and it's something like I can't look at it. Everybody else has been given, but I've give, been given my job. I'm going to use it for you, Lord. And realize that you don't have to do all the ministries, and you don't have to have all the spiritual gifts. And I want to cover that in a few minutes because we're now talking about the stresses of a ministry marriage. So I painted a wonderful picture of all the wonderful things it is to be a ministry wife. It's great, you know? Sometimes you get cards in the mail for thank you so much for being a wonderful pastor's wife. You know, you get a lot of accolades, but there is a lot of stress as well. And we'll be, I'm going to put the stresses in two different categories. Physical stress and spiritual stress. Okay. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just going to list a few things. You probably could add some for me. But one I um, just have to address before we get into our list is hospitality. And boy, that can be tough for some of us. Like, man, I have to be the pastor's wife. I have to be in ministry. And now that means instantly I have to know how to cook amazing meals. Not only that, I have to have everything done on Sunday right after church because people are coming over and I can't be bustling around the kitchen and I've got to have it out there and it's got to be amazing. And my house has to be amazing because that's what God expects, right? Okay. We get this idea. And doesn't that cause us stress? Because, I mean, do we live in show places that are unlived? No. I mean, these are real houses. These are real people living there. And some of them are chaotic messes. And we're just going to say, all right, Lord, I'm doing this for you. This is my little, this is my talent I'm giving. I'm giving to you what you've given me, and I'm using it for your kingdom. And... I have had more than once, I guess it's been, I can think of two instances where husband says, hey, this family is visiting church, and can we have them over after church for lunch? And I do not have anything ready except leftovers. So I did that, okay? We're pulling out the leftovers, people. We love you. We're real. We're going to show you we are real. We don't have, we just got half Half of a casserole, but I'm giving it to you. (laughs) It's pretty obvious, right? And we've all pulled out ice cream as the instant dessert. Hey, we're having ice cream. Hey. So, but those people, okay, there's one in Grace Bible Church, and there's one of the busy missionary, and they both have said, I still remember that time you had us over, and you served us leftovers. That was so special because to them that meant we're real. We don't have to put on a show for them. We love them. We're doing it out of love. Okay. So that's part of the physical stress. Now I'm really getting into it saying we've got commitments and stuff has to happen. I mean, like the pastor's wife, he has to fill the nursery because nobody shows. Okay. Your job is to use your gifts and let everyone else use their gifts. Are you bestowed with all the gifts? No. You know how the body of Christ works. We each have different roles. Now, seminary wives think 
I cannot do that. And I am counseling wives of seminary students who say, I just don't even know. I just can't even think of being the pastor's wife because that means I have to play the piano <laughs> and teach Sunday school and ladies, ladies Bible study. Just fill in the blank. You know the list, right? And we, some of us had that list in our heads. Now, I have done some of that stuff just out of desperation. People are asking me, please play the piano. There's nobody else. Okay. But now, thankfully, I don't have to use that gift. <laughs> Minor, small gift. Let, I'm letting other people do it. I'm letting other people plan the women's events because, hey, you know, if I can't, if I'm not skilled that way, I can let others do it. And it doesn't, does God want you to do all that stuff? Or does he want the body of Christ to work? The hands, the eyes, the feet, okay, they're all parts are working. All right. So, as we're using our gifts, we want to realize that our home is the first priority. And again, I love this stress in Mary's book because I've told countless women, I've given her book to countless women and said, look, ministry wife, that's not too scary because your home is your first priority. Doesn't it call you, God call you to that directly as a wife? Yes. So. You can do that. And a verse for that that's encouraging is Proverbs 31, 27. And that is an example of some of the accolades of a wife. She does look well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Why is she praised? Because she fears the Lord. Doesn't that just give you peace? I can please the Lord. I can do my bit to serve and please God through that. Some of those service aspects are to make things everything run smoothly so your husband can go out and do ministry. And I know that a lot of husbands are not able to get out. Some have wives who are, have health issues and um, they're limited. Sometimes it's financial issues that limit us in ministry, doesn't it? I mean... We try to find ways to have, offer hospitality to people even if we're under financial constraints. But also means we're running the household, so husband is the man who sits at the city gate. I mean, that's the Proverbs 31 idea. You know, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. Okay, there are sometimes crazy worries where like, I don't have a shirt to wear, it's not ironed. Okay, maybe he does, but we wanna be those people that have the shirt ready. You know, we want to have him ready to go out into ministry because we're, we're fun everything's functioning smoothly at ho in the home. All right. And we don't want to add to our husband's load. And this could be for the wife who's in a church that's kind of a mom and pop operation, right? Some of us are in real small churches where if there needs to be more toilet paper and you know, we ran out of toilet paper, they come and talk to you about it, right? Like, 
need to make sure that somebody buys toilet paper. Well, what we want to do is take some of that on ourselves so husband doesn't have to be on that list. And if you've got deacons, let them deke. <laughs> let them do it. I mean, do you always have to fix it? And if your people are always coming to you and saying, look, we gotta, you got to have this cleaned and this thing is broken, then you, you can gently direct them to the guy who's in charge of the building or whatever. Okay, you see? So you're trying to help things run smoothly, but don't take it all. I don't know, am I saying two things at the same time? We do what we can. That's my point. And you want to go, so you also want to not bring all your ministry problems to bed. Okay, it's quiet. Husband's there. You've got his attention. And then all of a sudden, talk, 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 talk. Unloading on him when he's trying to rest. Okay, so we're picking our moments and we're being really sensitive. And if you've got a ministry problem, just think about that apples of gold and settings of silver, you know, is a word fitly spoken at the proper time. I'm going to find a good time for that. Sometimes I make a list. I make a list and I carry it around with me. Okay, some of us do that, huh? Okay, I need to talk to you about, talk to him about this, but I'm going to write it down so it doesn't have to come blurting out of my mouth, right, whenever I instantly think of it, because I'm sensitive to the other person. And some husbands need a lot of meditation time with their message, with their sermons, or they've just come off of a terrible counseling case, like tragic, sad case. And you want to be sensitive and be slow to speak and just let him come down off of that. Come down off of that stress and then you offer your insights. Okay. It's all right to accept help from others. That doesn't mean you're not a spiritual person. I don't know why we think the pastor's wife is like superwoman. She's got to do it all. Okay. So... It's humble to accept help from others. And I'm looking at um, 2 Corinthians 8. talks about giving, and it says, For they, let's see, am I right? Yeah. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Those are other people begging to take part. And you've got skilled people in your church. You've got untapped resources, I predict. There are people just waiting to be told, you know, I really need some help here. I'm supposed to teach ladies Bible study, but I don't even know what book to cover. Or I know I'm going to be gone a couple of weeks. Is the Bible study just going to die because I'm not there? No, we're recruiting other people. We're not doing all of it. Doesn't that, doesn't that scare people to think I have to get married and do everything? Okay. Scared me. <laughs> so we're remembering also to rest. And there is a very important lesson to learn here. To rest. And I did get that from Mary for sure. Because, let's be honest, 
pastor's wife does not rest on Sunday. <laughs> does he rest either? No. I mean, that's like the priests in the temple type duties thereafter. We are not resting on Sunday. And everybody goes, oh, that's so great. That job is so great. You know, you just work an hour a week. It's so easy. <laughs> no, you've got to find other times for rest. And thankfully, our family homeschooled, so we took Mondays off. That was our family day. Uh, some of you don't have that luxury, but we want to. We want to do it because it's a command, right? Six days you shall work, seventh day you shall rest. And there are bad consequences for not resting. And that is, you know the list, like burnout or physical problems, or I am quitting, this ministry is too draining. I can't do it. Well, you look back and you go, okay, when did you rest? And uh, some of us have husbands who are on the phone on their rest day, aren't they? I mean, like really busy guys in demand, and they're not even having a full day of rest. They're sometimes just taking a few, like a half day rest. But come on and think about it. Some pastors are legendary for working, working, working. And I have to say what I've heard about Korean pastors, I mean like major dedicated pastors, but we don't want to emulate them in every way. We want to be sure to rest. Those guys, yeah, I don't know. They, I'm sure they're resting on other days. So. Sometimes that rest means your husband's the one who's going to tell you, I have to take a day off. I can't really go on much more. I really need a, a day away. Let's all go to the beach. Those of us who are living in Southern California, let's go to the beach. Wait, wait a minute. I can't do that. It wasn't on the schedule. I have plans. I had you don't know how much laundry I have to do. And I'm so, you want me to homeschool these kids and we're taking a day off here and there? Okay, okay, do you hear what your husband's saying? I need to rest. And let us please be flexible to the best of our abilities to provide that. And if it's a husband who's just like spontaneous, let's try to be that way. And you know, that's a good thing to do is to spend time with your husband or your family all together, rest, then, and then you take your time, you, that work gets done anyway, doesn't it? It eventually gets done. I mean, you never have people completely running out of laundry. Well, maybe some families do, but hopefully your family won't run out of laundry terribly, you know, so there's nothing to wear. Okay, you eventually make it up. Maybe you work a little faster on those other times when you're home. Okay, another aspect is to take care of your body. Some of us, uh, some of us take this verse to heart. First Timothy 4, 7. Do you know where I'm going? Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. <coughs> There, that little phrase, bodily training is of some value. There, okay, that's real. I mean, it's not saying it's the biggest thing in the whole world. You've got to be the CrossFit champion. 
No, but there is some value to bodily training. Some, some of us have got to get out there and get moving. What we've been doing, I mean, we started jogging. I mean, Jim loves to run. Let's go running together. Yeah. All right, yeah, let's get all sweaty and yucky and miserable. Oh, but you're going to love it. There's a great trail I found. Okay, so we were jogging for a long time. I ended up running half marathons because, yeah, let's run a half marathon together. It'll be great. <laughs> so doing that is of some value. Now we're doing a lot of walking. Walking. And that's good. Walking's great because it gets your husband away from his computer, gets him away from his phone. Sometimes those calls come in while you're walking, but yeah, generally you're out and you're about, you're talking. It's away from stresses. I love that. And some of us need self-control in the food department. Do, um, you know, restrict what's, how you're overindulging, being careful to be fit for the Lord's sake. And some of us need to have naps. It's not unspiritual to take a nap. Sunday afternoons for nap time, right? It's written somewhere. <laughs> you have to have naps on Sunday afternoon. Okay, so let's see, before we leave this category, I'm just going to look up this verse. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So this is in a category of just general self-control. But Paul's telling us, you know, that has to do with my testimony, is self-control there. And some may need to arrange for longer rest periods <coughs> when we're taking trips together, vacations. Anniversary trips. All this is investing in your marriage. It's so important. Didn't Jesus rest? Didn't he go off and rest? I mean, I don't know why we think we have to, it's 24-7, 365. And frankly, there are some people who think that is your job. And you're on call all the time. And we may just need a little bit of self-control to be able to say, we're resting right now, we'll call you back. Or we'll take that call later and we're not jumping on it. Because we all know people who are like an octopus, and they're just clamping on. And they could be really desperate people who are, feel like they're drowning, and they're hanging on to you because you're the only stable, rational person they have in their life. And yet, if they clamp onto you, do you think it's going to be suffocating after a while? Yeah. So besides that, you want them to learn to trust in the Lord and not in their pastor. So it's, think of it, it's good for them if I don't take their call. Okay, using wisdom, being rational about it, okay. So we should also realize that we have seasons of life. And I'm telling you, the pastor's wife ends up with guilt so much. Unless I'm the only one, but, okay, speaking for myself, guilt. I can't do everything I used to do. I need naps. <laughs> okay? Or my kids are young and 
I can't just go off to women's prayer meeting and then go to women's Bible study. And then, you know, the women are all praying together in the park. I've got to go to that. And I've got to prepare for 10 people coming over for lunch on Sunday. I can't handle it all. Guilt is a big thing. Okay, so we're going back to my gifts. We're going back to, hey, we have different seasons of life. When my children are little, I never did teach ladies Bible study. And I didn't do any counseling. I didn't start counseling till they were gone. But can't, should we live in guilt? Do you think the Lord wants us to live in guilt for things like that? No. Okay. And some people are young in the faith and they're going to be learning from others. They're going to be leading later, but not at the, maybe not at this season of life. So if we think about the spiritual stresses is the next category. Just to realize God is sovereign. Okay. Job in Job 42, one through two says, I know Lord, that you can do all things that no plan of yours can be thwarted. This is what we remember when the major family units leave your church. Like the leaders of your church leave. Churches split, okay? You are back to where you are in the very basics. Lord, you're in charge of all things. You realize that who you are in Christ and we love all this teaching about our identity, don't we? Our primary identity. And I send a lot of women to John 14 through 17, but let me read to you John 15, 1 through 7, and just get reoriented. Some of you may need some encouragement. And to reorient our minds, we say, John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And down to four, it says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's all connected with him. He says in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. and So prove to be my disciples. Our connection with Christ is going to sustain us in these spiritual trials. We have to get to that place, though. We have to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. So we also remember we have the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this verse, Colossians 1, 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints 
in light. There's the power we're tapping into, the spiritual strength we're getting from the vine. Our strength will come from communing with God. Okay? And as we maybe talk to other ministry wives, or if we realize ourselves that we're drying up and we're struggling, go back to the essentials. Go back to who Christ is in our life. So some of the temptations of ministry, I'm going to run through some of those and give you my tips. And this list came from Mary's book, Symptoms of a Sinful View of Ministry. Just going through the motions spiritually, discontentment with your husband's ministry, desire to change churches or ministries or to get out of the ministry, putting pressure on yourself or your husband to have more vision, add more programs, expand your territory. There's temptation for discouragement or depression, a lack of zeal for your ministry, feelings of failure, envy, jealousy, pride, burnout. And then I added guilt and I've got an example of that. From the comics. See if I've got it in this. Where is it? I have an example. Oh, it's right here. Here's the mom laying in bed. For better, for worse, you know that strip. Why did I say that awful thing to Ted and Irene? Why? Because you're an insensitive clod. She's telling herself. Why don't I ever think before I speak? You never learn from experience, do you, you dimwit? I hate agonizing over things after midnight. The only one who answers my questions is me. <laughs> Don't we do that? You come home on Sunday and say, oh man, I hope she didn't take that the wrong way. That is the kind of nagging, awful guilt that comes on and makes us want to give up ministry. My life would be so much easier if I didn't have to sit on the front row Every week, everybody's looking at my kids. And have you ever been in service, husband preaching, and he calls down one of your kids from the pulpit? Have you ever been there? Yeah, I mean, my kids were sitting behind me with some visitors. They were cutting up, and I didn't know what was going on. And here comes a rebuke. <laughs> like, oh, I just felt like melting. <laughs> Like, oh, I didn't even realize they were back there carousing. It's like, ah, give me another job, quick. Okay. So we can end up with a worldly outlook on our ministry. Like, it's what it looks like on the outside. It's how big our church building is. Do people know your husband's name? Does your church have... Buku people in it, thousands, okay? That's a wrong outlook. We need to reevaluate our motives. We need to reevaluate how we act towards our families. Like, get dressed quickly and go to church. You can't wear that. You can't have your hair like that. All outward, all outward focused, okay? 
where we're screaming at our kids in the car on the way to church because of what it looks like to us, to other people. We're worried about that. So instead, we're like, oh, Lord, help me. Help me to be genuine. Help me to be real and do this ministry for your sake. And criticism is an aspect of our life too, right? And I will quote from this book, Letters to Pastor's Wives, and Mary Beakey, Joel Beakey's wife, writes, oh, let's see, where did she write it? My dear friend, you may react to criticism of your husband in a variety of ways. Some pastor's wives see the discouragement of their beloved husbands and become defensive and angry at their critics. Some get depressed and overwhelmed. Some can let criticism roll off them. Some women remove themselves from the situation and don't care. And some wise women know when to listen, when to give space, when to encourage and comfort, and when to help. This is the type of woman I encourage you to be. And she goes on and talks about how to handle criticism of your husband. So as we get back into some of the other struggles we have, competitive nature is part of it, competitive about ministry. Oh, man. We look around and we see thriving ministries, and you think, they've got it all together. They are so blessed. They've been given so many more talents than I have. Okay? So just to center you back, you are living to please the Lord. Galatians 1.10 Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And as I talked to a friend before this, before I came in here and addressed you, she gave me a passage. It's in 2 Corinthians 12. And this is a good place to be, girls. Good to get yourself centered. Second Corinthians 12, you know what that's about? Paul's thorn in the flesh. And verse 9 says, My, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. It's, I don't want people looking at me and thinking, wow, how can they do all that? It's just Christ in me. That's what we want to see. That's how we can elevate Christ when people give us the most amazing compliments. That lady's tea was superb. I can't believe how you put all that together. Okay. Well, you can just say, I had many other people helping me. I am dependent on the Lord. And I'm content with what he's done here. And I give praise to him. Because remember James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as some of us may need to learn to be content 
And our passage for that is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if we think, what is a successful ministry? Is it how big your church is? How famous your husband is? Is it how everybody looks at you and sees your outward appearance and your outward ministry? No. It's what God thinks. And my friend that I spoke to earlier said she was in a panel. She witnessed a panel of experienced pastor's wives at Master's Seminary. Gathered a whole bunch of potential seminary wives to get seminary wives together, potential pastor wives. And the advice, somebody asked, so what is the main thing you want all of us to learn? And those women said, I want to love my people more. I wish I would love my people more. It's not about us. It's serving and loving others. And that's what God will say when he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the examples around us of ministry wives who've been faithful servants of you and of their families, their husbands. We bless you as we see their work and their lives. We also come to you knowing we have so many stresses and so many difficulties. And even in our minds, we have put on so many burdens. And yet, Lord, we want to continue in ministry with the right spirit and the right heart. And so we ask that you'd work with us to teach us, help us to be humble, help us to be real with our people and to love them more. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2019, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at ibcd.org.